0: like a cunicorns. Let's just roll with it. And we're going to be talking about D&D today. So Aaron, as you know, you all know me. um, I play D&D with our co-host today on Sundays and a homebrew campaign. Would you like to introduce yourself? Maybe say a little bit about, speaking of D&D, about your art on your avatar? (laughs)
1: Yeah, sure, sure.
0: Perfect segue, Uh, right?
1: I I know, right? So hi, my name's Dee. Um, I've been playing for, gosh, it's been, I want to say, three, four years now. So the Sunday game that I play with Aaron, um, I actually play the character that is on my avatar. Her name's Ivaruli Amastasia. Had to be super extra because, you know, that's elves. Yeah, I played like a a whole array of different classes and characters. Yeah, I just, I really like D&D and the freedom that it kind of, gives to creativity and you know all that all that good stuff.
0: Okay, so tell me more about some of your other characters by the way because I really 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 like the kobold. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love him too. Honestly, that was probably like a fever dream that I had when I made him. Um, so, like, the idea started off as I really wanted to make a kobold, or rather, I wanted to make a character that really leaned into the idea of becoming a dragon. Because I mean, it's it's Dungeons and Dragons. Like, mm-hmm. dragons In should common. definitely be you know like a bigger part of this. Um, so I was like, okay, well, one thing that I know has been pretty common has been a dragonborn. But then I was like, okay that's pretty common, but you know what I've never seen is a kobold wanting to be a dragon. And they like have draconic ancestry that like isn't necessarily played up in the lore. And I was like, that's like, that's a gold mine of stuff right there. So yeah, I started off with Silent Silver Silverscale. That's my kobold. Yeah, he is a silver kobold because silver dragons are my absolute favorite metallic dragons. Like they're just the best.
0: I do like silver dragons. We uh, we talked about <laughs> this when we were uh, doing our preview, I think, for um, Candlekeep. We were talking about how silver dragons were your favorite. I think that came up.
1: Yes, um, because I, I love how very cool and intricate they are. Because they are, you know, they're your typical dragons of like, oh, well, they think they're superior. But the nice part about it is, so silver dragons, I like their mentality towards humanity, or rather towards the shorter-lived races. Because what's interesting about them is they... I mean, I I guess it sort of sounds patronizing when you say it this way, but they do actually view like humanity as sort of like pets almost, or like something to kind of like usher away from danger. They're kind of like the shepherds, I want to say, of like the sheep. And I thought that was just such an interesting contrast to how some of the other dragons act and how they view humanity as as a whole. And it's, you know, it's, it's unique. It's cool.
0: Well, gold, uh, golden dragons, are they the most altruistic or is it bronze? I think I get the two confused.
1: I want to say just from what I remember, I think bronze are the most altruistic in terms of like, they won't outright attack you if they, like, they'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Gold dragons, if they sense even a like an inkling of evil, like if they thought, oh, well, you kicked the yeah, puppy it's... on May 24th, <laughs> oh, well, you gotta go.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: yeah they're they're very they're very like hardlined. and I was like, I mean gold dragons are cool, but like silver dragons is where it's at
0: well um I rolled a oh uh, well, no I didn't roll <laughs> um our warlock roll the natural so I use a I use a modified homebrew divine intervention system because I feel like everyone should have the opportunity to to really play into and utilize the piety system or utilize their deities or their mm-hmm. warlock patron it's not official rules it's just something I homebrew so I had the role uh I had the warlock role for divine intervention in the chamber of Aranax during Dragon Heist, and just oh. to see, to deal with the dragon, because there were also, there was Xanath, spoilers for uh, Dragon Heist, by the way, red spoiler and <laughs> give people a minute, but spoilers for Dragon Heist, in the Vault of Dragons, you fight the gold dragon Arinox, who is the guardian of the dragon, of course they're natural shapeshifters, so they can, they transform between dwarven form and uh, golden dragon form. But when you first meet them, they're in gold, uh, uh, gold, kind of gold-skinned dwarf form, kind of like glowing, almost like um, gold uh, gold body paint or something, kind of radiate this energy. I had the warlock. Uh, they were trying to get the the dragon staff, right? They were trying to not only get the gold but also the dragon staff. And the dragon was like, take the trinkets. It's fine. You've made your way down here, but you're a centaurum. And, uh, you know, you have the I'm not going to give you the dragon staff. So I had the warlock roll to find an intervention to see how the fight would go. And the warlock rolled the natural one which is good for divine yeah. dimension mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. On, on the percentile dice. Of 100, they rolled a one. So I had their patron basically rip the dragon in half as it was trying to transform. And uh, it's an Eldritch patron. So they were like, um, mm, th- the okay. character is very Kerrigan-like based on, uh, if for any Lovecraft fans, I don't know if you're a Lovecraft fan, but Minogra, who is one of the uh, more feminine deities of shadow and blades type of thing,
1: Okay.
0: Uh so I I gave her the Kerrigan wings. <laughs> and uh the Kerrigan wings act as razors on their own. Mm, okay. Just eldritch energy, that kind of thing. So when she popped out of the dragon, she kind of like sliced it in half, uh, and that was the end of that gold dragon. But then they <laughs> also they also had to fight Xanathar's guild, which was a big fight. I mean, but that's still that's still like
1: really, really epic, and that those so those are the type of stories that I really love that come from D and D, and you know, just like I said, creativity that uh, that comes from this medium. It, it's really, really cool.
0: Yeah. What's your favorite D and D anecdote? Like, like if that was my if that was my two minute Reader's Digest anecdote <laughs> as far as my first D and D story that comes to mind, I'm very curious to see what yours is.
1: Hmm. Hopefully, no, it stains so- to the kobold oh no it does um that was the first one that actually came to mind very exciting Um, yeah there's there's a lot but the the kobold really kind of sticks out in my mind just because i love the little dude so much um (laughs) so i think the funniest thing that i've ever done with this kobold um there's a lot of things just because he's so he's just so chaotic so the one thing that i did that is probably the that it'll stick with me through the rest of my D&D career is I made this character. It's much like you make any other kobold or short lived character. You don't really expect them to live, but you expect them to have, you know, have their moment in spotlight. Um, and that's kind of what this was. So my who's my best friend, Sophie invited me to a game and she had said, Hey, I want you to make this character. Um, and I'm going to introduce them uh, it, it, to the party and, um, and and we're basically going to go through the mountains and the mountains happen to be filled with a bunch of different things. One of these things that we came across happened to be a statue and the statue resembled the monkey God, Wukong. So the thing about this kobold is, you know, he's, he's got a speech. Um, I don't want to say a speech impediment, but he's very particular in his speech. He refers to himself as this one. And what I like about him is he's so honest and just very blatant. So when the the statue came to life as a god, we didn't know, like, what was going to happen. And so we, we happened to need the crown that he had. And the crown, actually, we didn't know at the time. But it was a, a helm, a, a, a circlet, sorry, of comprehend languages, which is normally a helm. So what happened was we were playing a game and the goal of the game was to get the circlet from him. So everyone was just like, oh, well, let's, let's be sneaky and let's do this and that. And I was like, I'm not going to do any of that. I rolled second on initiative uh, just before the god moved. Um, so one of the players decided, well, they're going to try and mage hand the circlet off of him in a very sneaky sleight of hand way. Unfortunately, he's all seeing. He's got like true sight. Like he saw that coming. So that didn't work. So I was about maybe 30, 25 feet from, from this statue or where he started. So I had the kobold, walk right up to him. And these exact words were, this one would like to become a dragon. This one needs to circle to become a dragon. You give please. I
0: love that.
1: And, and he used please. <laughs> like the please. The key thing being here is please because that's his yes. thing. Always says please. So, of course, uh, before I actually went up, I I cast the cantrip uh, friends. So my DM was like, okay, well, you'll get advantage because that's how friends work. So I got advantage on the charisma check, which was persuasion, against his insight. So his insight was, I believe, like a 26 in total, because there was a natural 20 in there. So it was a plus 6, and then on top of the natural 20, made it all 26. My persuasion was a 7. So I literally needed a natural 20 to beat that insight. And I rolled a natural 20. <laughs> I, I, to this day, <laughs> it has been the funniest thing on record in that group because I literally made this character as a joke one off because like, you know, he's a kobold. They don't live very long. Right. Um, but I wanted him to have his moment. And that, that among other things, was
0: his moment. High praise. We love to see it. So, so <laughs> the statue, what was the statue? Was the statue a, 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 a ghost, a spirit, a specter, a creature? Um,
1: it, it basically In- was, like, it, it transformed into the god uh, San Wukong, um, of of this world.
0: So it actually transformed into the God. Like yeah. a, it was, it was an avatar of the God. Yes. So okay. it was
1: literally an avatar of the God who Simon wow. walked up to, said, please give me the circlet. And the God said, okay. And he gave it to him.
0: I, I was thinking it might've been like a fey representation or like a creature representation, but no, it was actually the, the deity came down and embodied mm-hmm. that avatar. Oh yeah. Bananas. Oh
1: yeah. And that's the funniest thing because like I said, you know, it's just this lowly little kobold who was talking to a deity and was just like,
0: yeah, I'm just going to ask him. I'm going to say, please. And the deity just gave it to him. Yeah, just gave it to him. Amazing. I love it. (laughs) We're here for it. Also, the moral of the story, don't talk to or touch strange statues or obelisks. (laughs) Uh, Obelisks, if you watch Puffin Forest, you know the Tomb of Annihilation joke uh, there. (laughs) Don't push over the obelisk. Don't touch it. (laughs) Um, But uh, your kobold is a silver dragon kobold, right? Mm-hmm. Which is yes. okay, which is a perfect segue back into Candlekeep Keep mysteries, which is why we're here back to the silver dragons, which I believe the silver dragon you like my segues <laughs> I believe I like segues. the silver <laughs> I believe the silver dragon was the is the was the protector of candle keep if I have that right uh, like yes. the spiritual okay,
1: yeah, there was a spiritual protector. um I don't recall her name, but uh she was Let's really cool to mind
0: notes. Go ahead. What were you, you going to say?
1: Oh no, I was just saying that. Like I was super excited. I mean, when we were talking about this in in the pre, uh, the pre session, like you know, I was freaking out because I was like, I love silver dragons, and the fact that you get to introduce and talk to a silver dragon. Not only that, but there, like, even though there was a stat block for her, there was actually points in the uh, in the adventure that were saying like, you don't have to fight her. Like yes. you could talk to her, and that's the part that I really like about it. Is it's not just fighty fighty grind, all that type of stuff. There is conversations to be had in a lot of in well some of these adventures.
0: It's Miriam the Sentinel Worm. Ah, to make there sure we go. Yeah, Mirim the Sentinel Worm, uh, a silver dragon spirit with X-ray vision. <laughs> I, I wrote this <laughs> down and circled the X-ray Vision. She is an excellent uh conversationalist, which was one of the bullet points I think that was provided by Camel Keep Mysteries.
1: Yes. Um,
0: and no ban oh yeah sorry, right can't be banished that's what no banishment means yes <laughs> uh she cannot be banished because she is a part of candle keep she's a safeguard against uh basically the rogue memes <laughs> so mm-hmm. rogues who go into candle keep and uh for those of you who don't know the lore of candle keep is that the stewards of Candlekeep—the exact name of the stewards is escaping me. I have 20 pages of notes, but I forget more on the adventures and less on the background lore. But in general, the stewards of Candlekeep—I know they have a very specific name. When you—do you know D off the top of your head? No, I'm not as as studied in
1: the, the the lore of Candlekeep. It is one of the ones that has escaped me, just because a lot of my focus tends to be in Waterdeep specifically.
0: Ooh, we'll have to talk more about that at uh, later date Cause I love, watching. Oh yes. yeah. I, <laughs> um, I did a whole supplement to dragon heist and I really got into the nitty gritty of all the different stores and shops and districts and everything. Um, but we'll talk more about that um, on a different podcast. I yes, love that. Definitely. Um, I'd love to just have a brainstorming session with Waterdeep. But um, as far as Candlekeep, so in order to get into Candlekeep, which is the great library of Faerun, uh, located on the Sword Coast, just north of Baldur's Gate. Um, It features in Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus as one of the stops that the adventurers can travel to as they're trying to decipher the puzzle box, the infamous puzzle box. Um, And they made... I think I'm saying her name right, Silvira Sirikest or something like that, yes. um, who is one of the uh, scholars of Candlekeep. But in order to get into Candlekeep, you have to bring a tome, a book, uh, an encyclopedia, some kind of a book. Um, and it has to be one they don't have, which is tricky because this has been their means of entry for hundreds of years. Right, You have to bring a book to Candlekeep. And the lore of Keep is actually really intense. It goes really deep, and it dates back, um, again, hundreds of years. And there's a lot of really rich uh, lore there to be had if you're interested. But the big thing is that you have to bring a book. The reason I like Miram, and I think why <laughs> both of us like Miram is because you, know, you get a group of adventurers, a group of players, and you're always going to have someone in the party who's like, uh, I'm going to try and uh, just slide this book out and put it in my pack. And that's exactly what Mirim is there for. So the rogues who are being and becoming the rogue meme, uh, Mirim is there as a safeguard.
1: Right. The the ones who have a little bit uh, the, of the of the sticky fingers, if you will.
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> but it, it, it's interesting that you bring that up just because um, I know that like going back to my kobold not to gush about him or anything but you um, totally can we love your Cobalt. <laughs> um i i feel like hilariously he would be one of those uh one of those rogues who would have tried because hilariously he's not a rogue he is just a sorcerer a draconic sorcerer that's trained in stealth but he would be one of those characters that would be trying to take the books i mean granted he'd be saying please and thank you um right. but i feel like this would be a really good interaction for him uh just because you know it's a it's a silver Dragon, he reveres dragons so highly.
0: Um, but the avowed are the guardians of Candlekeep, uh, and they're the ones who stop you at the door um, and demand or request, depending on your perspective, to see whatever book you have brought and uh, determine whether or not you have the. This is uh, the map of Candlekeep if you want to check it out. So all of the maps. Uh, one of the things that we had talked about as one of the cons uh, of this was that the only map that is Full color, well, aside from the map of mystery, which we'll get to. But uh, Camel Keep is the only map that's full color. A lot of the other maps are kind of lackluster. Some of them look like sketches. Um, and we talked about this. I mean, much respect for all the artists for putting their time into it. But Wizards is a multi-million-dollar company now, um, <laughs> and they've got a lot of a lot of money and a lot of time. I, why not add, or even if people like the black and white maps, I know I've heard a couple of people say they like them, <clears throat> maybe add a black and white and a color. It's just, there's a lot of inconsistencies. Some mm-hmm. some modules or some uh, fluff slash crunch hybrid pieces like Candle Keep have a mix of, of uh, well, will, some will be completely black and white with a kind of a sketch type of situation and some of them will be full color. So it's really just a, um, it's like a coin toss. It doesn't right. seem like there's consistency. I'm gonna get the, I'm just gonna get all the cons out of the way because we didn't have a lot of pros. We had a few cons as if you're considering purchasing Camo Keep Mysteries, to me uh, having the one full color map, which you can see here on the screen, there's the Court of Air, there's the path leading up the main uh, gatehouse where the avowed will kind of check your status at the door um, <laughs> and then the the main library. And then all these other cool areas that you can explore. This is the map of Candlekeep, full color. And when I bring this up here, you can see that all the other maps are all black and white. And some of them are a little lackluster. Um, I know that the hag uh pool of eternal springs like one of them, there were a few that were, I think maybe it was Wisteria Vale. Yeah, Wisteria Vale, if you take a look, it's black and white and it looks like a rough sketch.
1: Yeah, I do remember this being one of the ones where it's like, I mean there definitely could have been a little bit more um creativity but i i guess in that that regard i mean that it just kind of leads into like if you're a really good DM, dm and you 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 believe in your own capabilities to kind of mm-hmm. like uh, either make your own map or just kind of go theater of the yes. mind that that definitely would would help in that regard but yeah no definitely this, this type of map Not a fan.
0: Yeah, and and absolutely. I mean, and at 100%, there is unlimited room for creativity and map making. I actually use Incarnate uh, to make the maps for the homebrew uh, that I'm going to be doing on stream in the future. Um, And Incarnate is an awesome, awesome, awesome program. And that's what Pandy uses, and she uses the free version. So everything that we've been doing in Sunday uh, with our group, that's all free. All free maps
1: um, I didn't actually know that she used the free version. Um I, I, I know she had mentioned the $25 sure for the year because I, I know might- I got it um got the $25 just because I was like I mean it's literally $25 for a year. That's what I did. And <laughs> did the same like, thing. I can and they updated pretty frequently she like I, I couldn't I definitely could not argue with that with that type of pricing.
0: Yeah I mean she might have uh done the done the uh, the full year subscription um I thought she was using the free version but the maps are really good so is a good chance that she actually might be using the premium version which is again you said about 25 bucks for the year it's fine yeah. and no they're not paying us i just really like incarnate um so you, because, you to sponsor us please <laughs> yeah i mean if you want to sponsor us in the future just saying incarnate is really nice because i like the world map feature it's my favorite because you can make the terrain and, and the coastline. I was using worldographer hexographer for a while, but I it was just very simple hexes and it, there's no it's really hard to, to to work the coastline, my experience. I was having a hard time with it. but anyway, back to Cable keep itself. Yeah, some of the other just cons that I noticed, some of the adventures, right? because we mentioned that this is uh, there are 17 mini adventures here to sink your teeth into, right? And of these seventeen self-contained miniature adventures, it felt like a decent amount of them lacked any type of meaningful adventure hook, and there was a lack of direction for plug and play. Um, some of the uh, some of the self-contained adventures I-, I had written down in my notes, it seemed like some of them were a little bit too open-ended, perhaps. I mean. You know, from from my general experience, what I've
1: uh, I, I've definitely thought about DMing a homebrew campaign, um, and every time I kind of start, I, I, I do have that feeling of like, well, if I wanted to do a mystery, why wouldn't I just go to something like one of the other um, systems that are there, um, like Cult of Cthulhu, or I'm sorry, Call of Cthulhu, um, or, or something like that. A lot of what I've seen and the general research that I've done from d d tends to lead more towards political intrigue. But even then, I mean, you know, with the rules that are set up, like I know one of the rules that stick up a lot in my, in my uh, DM group is eventually the the characters are going to find out like, you know, do a uh, do enough dice rolls. Um, the characters are going to figure out what it is. Um, or I mean, players are smart, you know, they're, they're not, I, I know we all like to joke about, oh I give them a, like a, a puzzle for a three-year-old. It takes them an hour, but I mean, players are yeah. smart. <laughs> like they'll, they'll figure it out or they'll see the threads before the, the characters do. So I, I think a lot of it kind of tends to be either not as exciting or, or if you have some, like in the reverse case, if the characters are technically smarter than the players, like if you're playing a high intelligence character that would realistically see these threats before the player right. does, it's not as it's not as fun for the player. Keen mind. Yeah, like keen mind, like like, like Liam. <laughs> yeah, like I, I have Swiss cheese memory. That's why I write things down. But if I have a character that has keen mind and I didn't write this particular instance down, then you know, it's gone.
0: Right. Well that's uh this this is gonna be my one critical role critical role reference for the podcast, <laughs> I promise. Um but uh Caleb has played by Liam O'Brien has a keen mind feat. And uh one of my favorite little anecdotes was there was a point where uh he just shouted out like Keen mind and Matt Mercer uh was like, Keen mind doesn't work for everything, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a really good feat though, and it would be Kind of an overpowered feat for Candlekeep Mysteries, I think, along with some of the other intelligence-based feats. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely I, right.
1: Yeah, I definitely think so, especially if you like, if you're pairing it with some of the backgrounds. Like, let's just say, like, what if you're a hermit that has keen mind and like you're just you you are that wandering librarian or the the wandering like I don't know catalog or, or something something to that effect. Like, you're that type of trope realistically, these characters would have heard something about this. So that that's my general feeling of, like, mystery could be done better if it had a different system or if there is heavy editing on the DMs part. And, I mean, yeah. as DMs, we already have a lot of things to consider. We don't, you know, if we're trying to set up a mystery, you don't want just a, ah, well, idea, and, like, it's a cool idea, but X, Y, Z, because, you know... The the blocks are not all there to to kind of stack up,
0: right? And and that goes back to what we were talking about as as the motivations for a book search. It's um, most of the adventures. Most of the adventures here are reliant on your characters not only first gaining entry into the city via the avowed, having to bring a book and having to be vetted by the avowed. And if your DM really wanted to to be obnoxious, they could be like, your hey, book's <laughs> not good enough," <laughs> you know. Getting to the library getting through the front door even. And then the whole process of looking for a specific book is a really specific vehicle of getting your characters there. Cause again, almost every single one has to deal with getting to candle keep or getting to any other library. You can use other libraries. This one on Eberron that the name escapes me because I've never played Eberron. Um, but there's a great library in Eberron and there are a bunch of other settings. I think there's one in Greyhawk too. Um, but these great libraries, it's like getting in and, and what quest you did, you really kind of have to push it a little bit to have a quest revolve specifically around going to find just a book. And mm-hmm. in your search for this book, that's when you can plug and play uh, some of these mysteries, which is interesting, if not a little weak in my opinion, but that's it for cons for me. Um, I don't know if you have anything else you want to add on that.
1: Um, That's all I can really think of off the top of my head that really like bothered me. Oh, no, I do remember one. Just in terms of the kind of playing off of the same idea, um, some I've noticed that some of the earlier um, or lower level adventures that are in the book aren't as interesting, at least for me, as some of the higher level ones. And I don't know if that's just necessarily a higher versus low level um, issue. But like, I think we were even, I'm sure we'll get to it, but there was one adventure yeah. where they were, where <clears throat> the characters, fighting mean locks at like level 3-4. Yeah, I and,
0: think it was level 4.
1: And, yeah, and I personally hate mean locks because, <laughs> I mean, as their name suggests, they are a terror for players to go against, um, especially at level 4. Um, you know, if they if they had a little bit more HP or, you know, just a little bit, like if, if there is tactics, it shouldn't be as much of an issue, but, you know, you're not always going to get the perfect party that's perfectly strategizes how they do things down to a wire sometimes just dice roll where they may and you can't really help that and mean locks are one of the few creatures that i think would could potentially tpk like is, even at this level
0: not only the first few uh that were adventurous seemed very lackluster and kind of just eh, fell flat but the first several even up to like level 10 or you know um, the first 11, 12, 13 adventures, uh, some of them were like, you know, very meh. There were a few that really stood out, which sidebar brings me to my own point. I- I'm I'm reluctant to say that this is worth the $50 digital purpose, uh, uh, purpose, purpose, <laughs> purchase. The $50 digital purchase because now... The, the last three adventures, specifically Candlekeep Deconstruction, uh, uh, and the Curious Tale Adventure. Those three adventures, on their own, and I'll get the names here. Okay, uh, Zikrans, Zephyrian Tome, the Curious Tale of Wisteria Vale. That one actually had the map that we were, I think, I think going back to that, we were kind of on the fence of that after. So, Zikrans, Zephyrian Tome, and xanathoria are the two that really stand out to me and continue to stand out to me uh mm-hmm. now um and the reason that those two stand out was because Zakarins was the comedy and said Zana- i i can't i almost said xanathar oh xanthoria Xanthoria was the the best one out of all of them. And it almost felt like some of these adventures could be released as little self-contained adventures. And that putting them in the book with some of these other ones that felt a little, a little lackluster, some that had strong hooks and then petered off. Um, I think the I think the Wisteria Vale one was one that started off strong and it kind of had a lot of question marks in the middle. That was one you had thoughts on with the beholder.
1: Yes. So yes. I'll talk about that real quick. Yeah. Um I I'm biased because I like the idea of play within play just especially in D&D yeah. and I think okay. like the the problem that I kind of had was the beholder is a cool idea and I know that it originally gave an idea uh, uh, the reason for the beholder being there
0: um, spoilers, by the way.
1: Yes, spoilers. So before I say anything, yes, there are spoilers for this uh, right. particular adventure.
0: Um, it, it is part of the art when you flip through the book, so you'll see that you'll see a beholder, and that's like, oh, there's a beholder in this adventure. So yes. other than that, moving forward, uh, probably some spoilers for with the Wisteria Vale adventure specifically. Correct.
1: But yeah, it was the the reason that it was there was because it dreamed itself there, and I was like, I mean, I guess, but that seems so, for, for what was proposed, it was just kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, I can, <laughs> I can probably think of a better idea of why it's there. Um, but I mean, for the moment, I, it works. It, for what it was, it definitely works. But um, I, I think it would be a little bit cooler to have the Beholder perhaps be the character that you were looking for, rather than the, the puppeteer. Just because I, I feel like, you know, that that might have been a little bit more interesting than just the dude <laughs> and his, you know, whatever he was dealing with.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and that was that was a high level, relatively high level adventure. I think I can pull it up here and see exactly that also had the that same oh, map that, we level. Were just,
1: that also had that same map that we were just talking about with the it's very lackluster with the this yeah. kind of forest in the circle, and that was about
0: it. Written by Keanu Shaw, developed uh, and edited by Christopher Perkins, Chris Perkins and Hannah Rose. So again, it just, uh, it felt a little, that one felt a little flat, but uh, I'm going to share my screen again uh, and go back to, because there are a couple I really am excited about. Going back over to... Uh, And I want to thank our producer, Lucy, for doing a fabulous job. Uh, (laughs) Hi, Lucy, we love you. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Um, And all right, so over at, okay, we have some more art I wanted to share over here. So this is the great library. You can see it kind of spirals up, which is really cool. I love this art. This is great art. There's a lot of really great lore uh, in here as well. I'm just kind of breezing through some of it. Uh, There's a little bit on the avowed, too, which, uh, you know, we talked about gaining entry to candlekeep. Joy of extra dimensional spaces. I think both of us thought that was a little eh. So I'm going to skip over a few of these. For those of you who are looking for a lighthearted beer and pretzels, or maybe just that you have a serious group of people and you want to just laugh your butts off, check this out keep deconstruction is hilarious. <laughs>
1: yes, I remember this
0: one. And everything is, so uh, the author has an aversion to the letter C, so they just replace everything with K. And it is just this absolutely bananas bonker adventure from start to finish, whereas the ultimate goal is to take off uh, on a spaceship <laughs> uh, that is a converted barn uh, and blast off into the multiverse, and there's giant cockroaches and all kinds of shenanigans. So here you can see the art here, right? Here's the tower that's part of the farm, uh, and you just, the end goal of the of the adventure is just to to launch that rocket into space. And also, there's these adorable little things in here, this skitter oh, yes. widget um, that we talked about. So, uh, kind of an eccentric adventure. <laughs> That is just, it starts with an earthquake, and it's just, I, I know you had some thoughts on that. It's it's amazing. Oh, I
1: just, I just love space. Like, <laughs> it, it has an adventure where you can go to space. Heck yeah, I want to go. Um, and then the Skitter Witches were probably, like, some of my favorite little creatures because they're so adorable. Because those, those were the adults, and then they had, I think they were the... Kitty witches or, or something like that? Kitty, um, kitty widgets, yeah. Yeah, kid, kitty widgets, that's what it was. But they're they're just so very cute and I just I just see um a DM just kind of making, you know, funny little voices for the guys and they're just adorable little things.
0: All right. So, in in the adventure uh not the adventure hook, but the little uh the GM notes, it says in this adventure, the characters fight against the ticking clock to stop a misguided cult from launching one of Candlekeep's towers into space <laughs> along with a small trove of valuable tomes which is hilarious. And that, uh, let me grab the author for that. That one uh, was just a personal favorite because it was so lighthearted and that it's just a lot of fun. Now, the thing about that is that that also seems like it could be a self-contained free adventure or an adventure that was maybe like 2.99 or something like that, that you could purchase either on the DMs Guild or directly from Roll20, because I know Roll20 and D&D Beyond have little self-contained adventures you can buy that are exactly that. The proceeds go to the authors, right, and and everything, and obviously the the people that wrote it and made it still get paid. Um, but they do have these self contained adventures, and again, I think I'm a little wary with just having them all thrown into one book and you know slapping the fifty dollar tag on it on for digital purchase. Um, and so this is uh, written by Amy Vorpal, which mm-hmm. is a fun. I'm assuming is a pen name. It's an amazing. Great, it's
1: a great pen name.
0: Uh, Developed by Chris Perkins, uh, edited by Scott Fitzgerald Gray. Uh, But I love this one. This one is one of my personal favorites. Um, The other one I really wanted to talk about was and Zephyrian Tome. Because it has, look at this. Yes, the boy. (laughs) This is a dragon that is also a scientist. And they have this adorable little coral crown on their head. And it's just my absolute favorite favorite dragon. So this is the Zephyrian tome. Uh, I like the tome. It's obviously sealed with a lock. Recently claimed the old laboratory as his lair and is wary of other creatures that might try to take the lair from him. Values beautiful colored thing and hoards a collection of colorful books and coral sculptures, including the crown of coral that he wears. This is my favorite boy.
1: He is a good boy, and I love him dearly. Yes,
0: um, I'm thinking about just taking just this laboratory and putting it in <laughs> and putting it in one of my campaigns or my homebrew. So this I would this I would definitely use um, for my homebrew, <clears throat> and I would absolutely also use again. I keep messing the name up. The Last Adventure, Xanthoria. So. Any thoughts on uh, the Zephyrian tome? I know we mentioned the the issues with Jin and monkey's paws and whether or not, you know, the Jin the, the offers to grant the party a wish.
1: Yes. I think just from the lore that was given with this Jin, I could potentially see some DMs who kind of want to have a little bit more fun with their party. Mm-hmm. Um, I see potential for a monkey paw scenario where it's a wish but there are certain things that you, or there's a certain way that you have to word it. Just because, you know, I, I feel like this is a very spiteful gin considering what he has been through.
0: Probably. Um, so <laughs> Most I mean, gins are.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I thought was kind of cool about it, where, um, like, it'll grant you a wish, but at what cost? And you don't know.
0: <laughs> also, Pime is in this from Kill Bill.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: I just want to, I want to show everyone... Uh... There we go. This Bakme. <laughs> so there is a whole adventure uh, based on monks, and I, I, I'm so, so I know that Marisha Ray had a part in Candlekeep Mysteries, but I did not, I I did not see her name on any of the adventures, which was interesting. I don't know if it was if it was more of a concept from her, um, but I was really hoping that the monk adventure would be written by Marisha Ray, considering the character she plays. Uh, in the current season of critical role with Bo, but I did not see that, which was interesting.,
1: but yeah, I'm not sure if she was a um like a writer or maybe if she was just a an advisor of sorts. Um mm. I don't remember exactly what she had said originally. Um, but I, I do remember that that was something that was mentioned.
0: I found the art from Miram, by the way. Ah, uh, yes, best girl. Is, yes. So there is Miram in all of her glory. You can see her spectral visage there. and again, I love the art. Um, and Miram, I, I might use that in my homebrew as well. So there's a lot of things. there's a lot of really cool little things that you absolutely this is a pro. a lot of really cool little things you could absolutely just kind of pluck out of here and kind of use here and there for your d and d campaigns and just put them in random places. And that, I think is really cool. But there's best girl.
1: The only other one that I can think of, like if you wanted to show just to kind of illustrate what we were talking about earlier with the meme mods as yes. a con, that, that's the only one I can think of.
0: So here is Vermillion. Also another one of these maps in that same adventure, which uh, is a little lackluster. Uh, not really a fan. And yeah, the Platinum Mine.
1: Ah, uh, so. Yes, I, I do remember the mine, the mine so one now. Tab over. So, if you're not familiar with meanlocks, um, they have a very nasty habit of either frightening players, um, specifically because they do inflict the frightened condition, and their bite uh, has a chance to stun players. Um, so, it is a very um, stunlock heavy kind of creature, and there are multiple of them. Um, so, I don't really ah there you go so that's what they look like um <laughs> they are not pretty by any sense of the word um yeah so skull that's standing on i i know right it's like just to emphasize the point that they are awful creatures yep. um but yeah so it, it i mean granted the their stun um dc i believe is like a 12 or 13 oh dc but, 11 uh,
0: con save
1: Okay, so it's a little lower than I thought, but um not only do they have the fear aura, they can teleport and you know their claws have a chance to stun. It's just it's a lot I think I feel for a CR 4.
0: Yeah.
1: Or I'm sorry, a, a CR 2 I believe they are for for characters that are 4 and up. Just just because, you know, 4 is just is just barely out of that like what I would consider like the tutorial levels. Right. Um, So they don't quite have that proficiency bump, uh, bump, but, you know, they're they're still a little bit, they're a little bit tougher, but they're still not quite as good or as strong as like a level five character.
0: Right. And... The best part about D&D for me is that you clearly have an aversion to Mean Locks, which means that you had a unique <laughs> experience. I'm sure you had a unique <laughs> and traumatic experience with Mean Locks oh, yes. <laughs> uh, in your D&D history, which for me, it's cultists, uh, Dragon Cultists specifically. I hate Dragon Cultists oh, because boy. <laughs> we almost, uh, the first the first 5e game I ever played was when, uh, it was a couple of years after uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen came out. Um, and we were playing Horde of the Dragon Queen, and the cultists just wrecked us in the first area, which is, that's my least, of all the 5e adventures, Horde is my absolute least favorite. I tried DMing it, I couldn't do it. It was too just, it was almost like the the Skyrim NPC meme. I, I ran it as a joke <laughs> with my boyfriend, and we had Governor Nighthill in the town, and we ran Governor Nighthill as a joke, like he was a Skyrim NPC. So of course, with the with the typical Scottish accent for the dwarf, just because it was a kind of a goofy thing that we were doing, it's like you, adventurer, must go back out into. I was doing all the the hand <laughs> motions and everything. You must me. go back out into the fray, find us with my terrible Scottish accent. <laughs> <laughs> and it was you know and he was directing and he's like go and go and find the civilians and bring them back. Uh, and you know the dragon is just floating overhead like listlessly not doing anything. And yeah, but with like the hand motions and everything, and I uh, kept telling, and it was the same thing every time we would. Every time my boyfriend would come back into the town, it was like you must go back out into the fray.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, it, it's interesting that you bring up uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen* just because yeah. that was uh, that's actually my first campaign when I was getting into D D. That was my first campaign. I'm actually with my current uh, Saturday group going through Riz Tiamat. and I think my biggest complaint. Just you know, spoilers and stuff for for uh, for Horde of the Dragon Queen*. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's so horribly unbalanced for the the CRs that that they throw at PCs at certain levels. Like I think the the what is it, the blue dragon? I think he was is like a CR yeah. two, <laughs> um, a CR two or three for a bunch of. PC's level 1. And it's like, "I okay, I understand that there is a limit. But like there's a reason <laughs> why you don't throw a dragon at this party
0: at level 1." So I'm going to look. So um a challenge rating for an adult dragon for a green dragon at least is 15. There is no adult blue dragon, but there's a a black and a green. And the CR for I mean that's an adult blue dragon, so it's probably around CR 15. Um, I think it might be CR-15, which is, that's insanity. Granted, you're not supposed to fight it, but still. Right. Like, I
1: don't recall if it was an adult or if it was a young one, but still, like, even a young one is, like, maybe CR-5-6, something like that. Um, And, like, if it's a wormling, at the absolute lowest, it is probably a Um, 2, because I believe that's what a... uh, a wormling Blue Dragon would be as a CR2. But I mean, it's a dragon, like, it can Breath Weapon and then just take out an entire party and there's your TPK. Yep. Um, and I mean, you know, towards the end of it, you uh, again, spoilers, uh, you fight, I believe he's an 8, I want to say an adult white dragon, but you're like level 8, 9, yeah. something like that. And, you know, once again, going into the topic of it is a dragon um and i know the point of it is to like get the the different factions to fight each other and that's mm-hmm. a, actually what our group ended up doing but it's like it it's a dragon guys like that's terrifying if you don't if you don't do it correctly there is the very real threat of a tpk
0: yeah um so i think our, our group did very well with that fight they were surprisingly they were doing a lot of damage because they had done lost mine over for first so they had magic weapons um uh, and yeah by the time they got to to fight that white dragon um which the name eludes me right now um but that exact fight uh, they did pretty well but you're right but the danger is always there but i, I felt like that fight was reasonable um, it was maybe, just the very beginning. That yeah,
1: is- maybe I'm a little biased, just because I know um, with that fight we actually did we didn't play any other game before. You know, as I said, that was literally my first campaign, so we didn't. I think we had maybe a couple of um, magic items between us, but it wasn't like enough for the whole party. Um right. and even even as a larger party, we were still you know terrified to go up against this adult white dragon Uh, because, I mean, you know, got to pay respect where
0: respect is due. It is a dragon. Yeah. I mean, the game is Dungeons & Dragons. (laughs) Exactly. So I just want to point out the Nyad art real quick um, and just how pretty they are.
1: Yes. Beautiful. I love it.
0: Um, But we only have a few minutes left, so I wanted to segue over to um, our favorite, which I think was both of our favorites. Yes. uh, But Xanthoria. And let's bring it up. Ah, here it is, okay. And first of all, look at the tome. I love the tome, <laughs> first and foremost. So you already know it's gonna be good. This is my absolute favorite. So here's here's the hook, here's the hook, which I love. And I am, I am 100% using this. It's an adventure for 16th level character. Um, using my DM voice again. A deadly fungal infection called the Saprophytic Plague is ravaging the Sword Coast. The plague not only targets beasts and humanoids, but also destroys crops and stored foodstuffs, causing famine and sickness on an epic scale. Religious and civil authorities are unable to stem the tide of the saprophytic plague, and even a wish spell can't seem to undo the contagion, given how widespread it's become. The mystery surrounding Xanthoria has to do with the discovery of a mad druid's quest for lichdom and the plague she unleashed in the process. Ordinary liches contain their soul in inanimate objects The druid Xanthoria discovered a way to house her soul in a living being. So um, the first part is an adventure hook. The second part is the GM notes. Um, Again, spoilers for the whole thing. Um, But it basically takes place in a... It's a lich's lair. And it's a fungal lich. And this lich is... I just want to show you the lich here. She is beautiful. Look at God, this creature. I love,
1: love it. Every time we see this art, it like it drives me just a bit crazy cause, like, look the fungal into the dress. like it's it's,
0: it's chef's kids. It's beautiful, yes. I literally love everything about this. This is just perfect to me. And it's got everything I could ever want in D D. There's everybody loves everybody loves liches, <laughs> <laughs> and to have a fungal lich or a lichen lich, if you will, which is the name of the uh, the new monster, is a lichen lich. And it's a standard lich stat block again for DMs only at this point. There's a handout, uh, obviously, right? There's a little artsy handout, but also as far as let me go into the Lich and Lich down here. So many new monsters as well. Okay, the Lich and Lich. They actions, legendary actions, all the usual stuff. All right, so Firestorm and Poisonous Touch. These are amazing abilities that can absolutely just knock a party right on their butts.
1: Oh yeah. Like, this is this is the type of monster where if you're not prepared, um, you're going to have to be very quick on your feet.
0: And I think that's an understatement. Uh, the map <laughs> is really cool, too. So the map is really high quality. Um, it is a black and white map, but there's just so much going on here. And the story is just so well written. I'm going to see if I can bring up the author. So, okay, Tony Winslow Brill. Uh, is the author, uh, developed by Bill Benham and Chris Perkins, edited by Kim um, Mohan, M-O-H-A-N. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But there is, look at this sad fake creature. So (laughs) sad. sad, The sad fake creature who is distraught about the, okay, and here is the basically what we read, creatures that become, okay, oh yeah, here's the other part of it. Creatures that become infected uh, with the uh, saprophytic plague uh, fall ill with a fever and sprout disgusting gooey fungal growths before losing their autonomy acting like zombies. They also release spores that infect other beasts and humanoids. Eventually the plague reduces all infected creatures and foodstuffs to puddles of ooze. Humanoids infected with the plague drone the word Xanthoria over and over for no discernible reason before death finally claims them. You have determined that there is a book by, the, by that name, which is contained in the library fortress of Candlekeep. With luck, the book holds information that might help you end the Saprophyth Plague before it wipes out every village, town, and city and Faerun. So this is a world-ending apocalyptic adventure. <laughs> and the ending, um not gonna spoil it here. I would definitely check out the ending, but it is heartbreaking. It is extremely well written. This adventure, this could be a whole adventure in itself. You could run a campaign based off of Xanthoria.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, I like, I mean, i I I'm pretty sure I said this before too. Um, I love the Last of Us aesthetic, just because the it's yeah. so it's so very cool, and just the way you can really get into the descriptions of how it affects uh, the the victims uh, of this fungal infection, um, especially you know like like we were saying, you could definitely make this into um, a campaign and make this like you know. 1 to 20 if you wanted to like Raise her up and you know Mm -hmm. make Her truly the BBEG Which honestly She would certainly be worthy Of that title because man Her stat block is nutty (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's a sixteenth. It's balanced for characters of sixteenth level. There's all kinds of other uh, legendary creatures, which is a fun little thing to find in in her layer. But just an absolute diva of a final boss. I love it. I love this villain so much. Um, this story on its own is an eleven out of ten. Oh yeah, it is. It's a perfect D and D story. Um, any final thoughts on? Xanthoria, or about Candlekeep mysteries in general, before we do a general summary and wrap up and assessment ranking, maybe.
1: No, I, I think um, uh, all all the gushing I've done has been pretty sufficient. Um, and you know, as as we kind of said towards the beginning, um, the cons there's not many. There's there's really not. There are some that stick out, but I can't really think of many other cons that we haven't talked about.
0: Right. So I think overall if I had to if I had to give my absolute opinion on this I would say I I really like the idea of individual adventures maybe that could have been purchased uh, as standalone adventures the plug and play but there's there's so many adventures in here that I personally didn't like I know both of us had issues with with several of them as far as how I don't want to say well-written, but just, you know, weak hooks or vice versa. And it really just, I think as a whole, um, maybe not quite worth the $50 uh, for the digital purchase, but I'm thinking maybe if it was a little bit cheaper, mm-hmm. it might be, it might be worth it. But I, I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not a marketing expert. I don't know how much <laughs> these things cost to produce. I don't know what the profit margin is, but it seemed like there's a lot of stuff in here that just is not going to be used. And just to have so much uncertainty mm-hmm. is uh, I, I, what I really like is the idea of potentially having individual adventures. I think mm-hmm. maybe in the future, if there were like uh, a if that was released as an individual adventure for 999 or 1599, you know, if, if it was flushed out just a little bit more, you know, you can go up to you know the 15 versus the 10, mm-hmm. but it it seems like if I had to just on everything we've we've seen, um, you know, it's it, it's definitely you know more of an I think an average uh, type of experience. Like if we were on a rating system, I would say like a like a six or so out of ten in general. But mm-hmm. some of the I, adventures on their fair. own, yeah. Some of the adventures on their own are like a eleven or a ten out of ten, like right. Xanthoria and Candlekeep Deconstruction. Um, how about you? What are your kind of final thoughts in that? Um, in that vein,
1: I, uh, I I feel if you if you really want to buy it, I feel like just understand that you're going to have to do a little bit more legwork as a DM uh, to really make it work. I think personally, I would buy it if it's on sale. Like if you can yeah. find it somewhere on sale, I would definitely pick it up because obviously as we've gone over, um, there are a lot of things that are worth it in here. Um, and, you know, if you're, if you're really dead set on trying to do uh, some of the later um, ideas that are in here, um, I would say, yeah, just definitely go ahead, pick it up and just understand that legwork is going to have to be a absolute must um, for some of the, the earlier uh, the earlier concepts. Um, and I'm, I'm leaning a little bit more on the like I want to give it like a 6.5 mostly because when when it ends in that finale um it is definitely like yeah. knock knocked out of the park like it's really really good and I feel like that it's not quite enough to to say hey it's a seven out of ten but six point5 is for me
0: yeah and and again this this is this is just kind of our general assessment after kind of uh because we did have a few hours where we sat down with each other and went through every adventure and looked at the new monsters and the new magic items, which are really great. There's a lot of really great monsters in here. There's a lot of really amazing magic items in here. The maps, some are are good and some are great, but there's a lot that are a little lackluster, and they're all black, they're all black and white with the exception of Candle Keep. But the adventures in general. Some of them stand on their own. Some of them are a little more iffy and, and plot hooks are weak, but like Dee said, the it just is knocked out of the park. It's a good quote. I like that, (laughs) but this is based on us talking about it again, a second time here. And then the first time for a few hours, it was like two or three hours that we uh, had where we sat down and just went over the whole thing. Mm -hmm, Something like that. Yeah. So none of us have played through any of the modules, but our initial assessment as long-term players and DMs and content creators is just, again, it it is what it is. Um, I'm sure that people are going to play through it and really enjoy certain adventures and maybe playing through the whole thing might offer a different perspective. This is just kind of our initial impressions, kind of our initial thoughts on it based off of like you know, having some time to just sit down and, and flip through the whole thing.
1: Right. And, you know, as as you know, as as has been said, really what's going to make it is the group that you play with and the DM that you have. But I mean, that can be said about really anything that you play with D and D because you know, D and D is it's a really good hobby.
0: <laughs> got my got my books. Right, there we go. And <laughs> <My> book's <laughs> behind me. I have to get the right angle with the camera. There you go. My, uh, so that's only like half of them. The other half are like scattered around uh, the rest of my studio apartment. There's just, <laughs> just D&D books everywhere. I need to expand more into the other side. But um, yeah, so 6.5-ish out of 10, I think, for our initial thoughts. So, But again, uh, at the end of the day, our opinion doesn't really matter. My opinion doesn't matter. It's just our initial thoughts. Kind of right. a guideline for initial thoughts on candle keep mysteries so any uh, I think that's all of our time for today any promotions or anything you want to plug for for do you have an art page or where can people find you if they want to if they want to go say hello on social media do you have oh. like a public social media
1: uh, I do I do um let me double check which one to get out um
0: and I think you drew your character art for Iberuli yourself right the one yes, that's on your I did. Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, if you ever want to like, come say hi, um, I am on Instagram, uh, by Afro Puff Lady. It's all one word. I also do, let's see. I mean, you can, you can find me pretty much anywhere, mostly on Instagram. Um, I don't quite have my Twitch set up just yet, but maybe I'll have that by June, hopefully. But, um, yeah, for now, I'm just kind of on Instagram. That's about it.
0: All right. I love it. That'll, that'll work. All right. So, uh, and obviously you can find me uh, at Twitter at ESP Aaron Spencer or uh, at SC girl two and on Twitch at uh, twitch.tv slash scgirl. Uh, so thank you for hanging out with us D for tonight. It was absolutely amazing to have you on the show. I would love to have you back. Nobody listens to me, but I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> that I'm hoping that they will listen to you on your, on your thoughts on Kayla keep mysteries. Sure. Um, sure, no so, it seems like we're on the same page. Yeah. So I'm excited to have you back. Uh, in a couple of months to talk about Van Rickton's Guide to Ravenloft which I'm very excited about uh, that's easier to delve into because it's it's a um it's technically a fluff but you can really sink your teeth into the character books so if there's going to be okay. new character classes new races it's yes. much easier for us to kind of break it down and talk about it versus just having to flip through the adventures and the mysteries and having to put together our initial thoughts without having played the module and having these little separate modules not really having that be viable anyway just a weird book to do our first D episode on came <laughs> to mysteries a weird <laughs> first foray into it but thank you again for joining us uh, and thank you everyone for hanging out with us as usual uh, information links everything that will be in the doobly do down below and we'll see everyone next month for another episode of ESP and spencer podcast and esp D now which i'm really hyped about yay all righty so we'll see you again in a couple of months and uh cool have a good night everybody
1: awesome thank you